Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of April. Hi, Em. Monday morning, how you doing over there? I'm good. It definitely feels like a Monday. My theory on why it feels that way specifically today is just because I think the Oscars was a very draining three hours, and I feel that that energy has carried over a little bit. I think you're definitely correct. (laughs) We'll get into a whole discussion on that. I know we both have thoughts, but I like this episode. I think there are topics that we're excited about. Honestly, Oscars probably being the lowest of the list. Which I never thought I'd see the day. Never, right? It's unusual, but I, it happens. And I think anybody who watched last night can understand why the other topics are more exciting. Also, it's like Oscars video of Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly making out at his concert. It's it's a hard sell. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, somehow I'm more excited to talk about Pete Davidson and his girlfriend than I am the Oscars. So that should tell you how boring last night's show was. That's a really harsh statement. Uh, the Academy should know about that statement, in my opinion. Yeah. You guys should know that's a dagger in her heart to say that out loud. I know. Also, this is not on the outline, but right before we started recording, I watched episode three of Jeff Wittick's YouTube series. I know you haven't seen it yet. Julie, you have to let me talk about that a little at the end. Of course. You guys, that is some shit regarding the whole David Dobrik stuff, but we'll get into that at the end. Anything else you want to mention or shall we? No, let's do it. So as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a Black-owned business, and this week it's called Coco and Breezy Eyewear. It was founded in 2009 by twin sisters and also DJs, Coco and Breezy Dotson, and they just make really cool glasses, sunglasses, blue light glasses. They've been worn by Rihanna, by Lady Gaga. As always, we will put all the information in the description, but this is a really interesting company. In terms of Oscars, let's start out on a kind of lighter note and tell me if somebody said to you, you have no other choices, top one and two, who are you choosing for best dressed? Well, I think if you don't pick Zendaya for best dressed, there's something wrong with you. But I'll say Zendaya and then my second, which is a close second, is Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, Zendaya is my top, but second is Isla Fisher. I know it was an all black gown, but I thought her in that Dior was stunning. I know a lot of people get nervous to do black at big award shows because they think it's going to end up being boring, but she looked insane, so beautiful, so stunning. The thing about Zendaya in this outfit, aside from just how beautiful she looked in the color, she was wearing $6 million worth of bulgari. And a lot of times I feel that that level of jewelry can overpower the person. And I didn't feel that way at all. I think it actually fit her beautifully. Oh, it was stunning. I mean, everything about her last night was just perfect. I, The hair, the dress, the color of the dress, the jewels, it was I cannot speak about this look enough, but she always, always nails it. My third is Andrew Day in that golden Vera Wang. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Also, Amanda Seyfried. If you asked me like a year and a half ago, 
top award show looks. I don't think that I would ever put Amanda Seyfried's name in the running, but she's been really stepping it up recently. Oh, very much so. And the other person who brings it every single award show without fail is Regina King. And I actually think last night may have been her best look of of award season. Especially when she's starting out the whole thing. And in that gown, it was just so perfect for the entrance. Every single award show, your jaw just drops when you see her. Regina King gives us the energy that we all collectively wish Margot Robbie would give at every award show. I won't even get into that right now because the mood's already a little bit dampened by having <laughs> to talk about the Oscars. So we will just leave it as that, but you are a hundred million percent correct. Yeah. But let just quick, quick one second thing. I will say I have hated things more than I hated the Chanel floral gown that she was wearing last night. I thought that it actually was nice on her. I didn't hate it at all. I thought she looked good in it. I, I mean, listen, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. She obviously looked great in it. I just want to be blown away by her. That's what it is. And it's not that her dresses are always terrible. I mean, sometimes they're not great. But it's just more that they're so unbelievably underwhelming from somebody who she herself is so overwhelming of a figure that it just doesn't match. I want my jaw to drop for her the way it does for Regina King. Mm -hmm. And that's all we could want. I don't think it's too much to ask. No, it really shouldn't be too much to ask for sure. In terms of the actual show – I remember when it first started, Isabel had texted us in our group chat, and I wonder if this is something that other people were feeling. And she's like, am I just high, or are they shooting this as if it was a movie? And it really was. I mean, you saw even Regina walking in and kind of the credits on the screen, and even just the way that the camera angles were shot. And when I looked it up, the three producers had said that this year's theme was Bring Your Movie Love. And the reason that they did it in that way was a very intentional decision. It was because they were trying to get the audience excited about re-entering movie theaters, which is actually one of the reasons that they had it at Union Station, which is a location that's been featured in something like 150 films. So understanding that logic, it made a little bit more sense to me. And I will say there were a lot of moments about this night that I didn't necessarily jive with, but I didn't have a problem with that. I thought that it was a kind of unique way to shoot it. I think if you want to make people excited about re-going to the movies again, all you have to do is like have every single person in the audience sitting with a bucket of popcorn and one candy. (laughs) That's my dream. Right. Like if I saw somebody with popcorn and a bucket of it and I could see the butter like glistening in the light, I would be like, holy fuck. The (laughs) movies? No. They have to know their audience. Yeah. Also though – I know this is going a little bit out of order, but it was a really great point that was brought up on Twitter last night, which I don't even think we were necessarily tuned into. We knew something was missing, but we just couldn't put our fingers on it. It's like this was one of those years where so many people admittedly had not seen a lot of movies. And this was the one year where they chose to not really show any clips. What was the decision there? I'm telling you, there were a lot of decisions that just didn't make sense because I guess the time that would have been allotted for that was then used for speeches, which I understand. But it was just interesting since so many people had said, even going into the Oscars, that this really just was a year where viewership of films was lower. Yeah. I mean, you did, again, you didn't have theaters, the streaming services, not everybody has access to every streaming service. You know, it, it really varied a lot this year on people's availability to see movies. And yeah, this year should have been shown a clip. It was just there were a lot of decisions that was made. The decision to not show the clips, the decision to have not have a host. I understand that in years past, we've been able to make it work with not having a host. But this year, I just think that piece of it was so necessary to move the show along and to bring a little levity and a little bit of humor and honestly, a couple of gimmicks that I felt was so lacking. And a host could have, not that it would have saved the night necessarily, but I think it could have brought a little element of something. Well, when I think back to the Grammys, which I know is a totally different experience, it's not even fair to compare it, but when you think of Trevor Noah's role, it's not like he did so much. However, him being there, I think, allowed the audience, meaning the audience at home, to feel kind of like at least some sense of consistency, at least, especially in this year when things were so different. They had a place to look that was familiar. They felt like somebody knew what was going on, where I think watching the Oscars, you kind of got the sense that nobody really knew exactly what was going on. And that's why I think during COVID times, it's even more important to have a host just because it it does. It signals a sense of stability. I know that may sound dramatic, but I think it's true that people are missing. Yeah, 
the thing with the Oscars this year also is that I just feel like if I were in charge of the Oscars, I would be like, okay, it wasn't a great year for movie viewership. Let's get people really excited again. Let's do an amazing Oscars. Let's get the audience involvement because there's such a high power of stardom in the audience. It's the first time we've really had that in an award show. Like it's a different type of setting. We're moving forward. We're kind of getting ready to have audiences again and big star. Like there was a lot of elements to the Oscars that could have been turned into something. And if I were the Oscars, I would be like, okay, let's get people excited about the movies again by really playing into that, not by filming it in a certain way or having it in a certain location. That's not what makes people excited again. People get excited by the people they're going to see on screen. They could have played that up a little bit more. They could have had, you know, that intro where Regina King is walking through and they have all the lights starring this, starring that, like make that a whole thing. Show me every single person that's there. And it just fell short every single step of the way. No, I really do feel the same way. Although, listen, let's talk about some of the good moments, which Tyler Perry winning the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know, but he really has this way when he speaks that it's just so captivating that not just the audience in the room, but when you're at home, I don't know. I just think that you're consistently moved by his words. And it's not an easy thing to be somebody that consistently moves people because that's a big act to do. And so the fact that pretty much every time I've heard him speak, I feel like I take something so profound away is not something I can say for most people in Hollywood. I totally agree. Yes. So Yu Jung Yoon winning Best Supporting Actress for Minari, aside from just her entire energy and kind of the comedic relief that she provided that really was more necessary than I think anybody even knew. And I think we all just collectively were so happy for her because she seemed so happy. But the moment with Brad Pitt when she kind of acknowledged that he presented her with the award and she was having that fangirling moment in a night where few things are relatable was so unbelievably relatable. Absolutely. She was by far the bright spot of the night. That's how I felt. Also, her walking off with Brad Pitt, it's really hard to see someone else live your dream. Oh, and then we get the little flash of his mini ponytail. I love the mini ponytail. It's really so repetitive. And I feel like, I guess we say this every time he comes on the screen in a major way, but I feel like I turn into a parody of myself when I see Brad Pitt in a tux on my screen because I get like a little girl. I don't know what it is. It's not me just saying that because we're on this podcast. It's like, I texted you last night. I was like, why do I get the jitter? It's it's only him. This does not happen with you know every other hot male celebrity. There's just something about him that exudes this power and this all-encompassing aura of sex appeal. And I can't get over it. Like It really just gets me in the mood. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's everything about him. It always has been because it's so consistent and it's just been that way for as long as I can remember. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of male celebrities that come on screen and you're like, oh my God, or like you thirst over them, obviously. Like that's nothing new. I just think with Brad Pitt, it's it's just a forever thing. And I think what's unique about it for us is that when we grew up, we were just as into him as we are now. And now obviously in a much more real way, but the same way that I felt when I met him in Rome, when he was filming oceans 12 or whatever it was, is the same way that I feel now at 26 watching him. Right. Exactly. Also Chloe Zhao winning for Nomadland. She's the first woman of color, the first Chinese woman and the second woman ever to win the Academy Award for directing. Unbelievable. Unfucking believable. Really, truly. I really liked what she said in her speech about how her and her dad used to memorize Chinese poems and different texts growing up, and that there was this one sentence from one poem that stuck with her, which is that people at birth are inherently good. And she kind of just said how those six letters have had such a great impact on her, not only as a kid, but also now. And I just like that because I think that that's a message that obviously is true, but that we so often forget. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Daniel Kaluuya winning, obviously, for Judas and the Black Messiah, Best Supporting Actor. I think the entire room in the audience and then also at home just had this kind of uproar of excitement and happiness for him. But it is so unbelievable the way the internet moved so quickly. And the second he said that line about, you know, this is crazy, like my mom and my dad decided to have sex, then they had me and here I am. You knew from the second that camera panned to his mom and the sheer confusion on her face that that was going to be a meme within a minute and it went viral. 
every time he goes to give a speech or is on screen, you know he's just going to say something that is hilarious and unbelievable and so charming. And (laughs) that is exactly what he delivered in the best possible way last night. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And then, of course, I mean, I think this is one of the most spoken about things, Anthony Hopkins winning for Best Actor. Of course, Chadwick Boseman is also a nominee. And what was so confusing to so many people is they rearranged the ceremony so that Best Actor would be last, which I think everybody kind of, by virtue of them doing that, got their hopes up in a way that it would be Chadwick. And to have it end with Anthony, he wasn't there to accept, understandable, then kind of have it end so abruptly. It just felt like such an unfair and uncomfortable ending. Yeah, it was very confusing. I mean, I think when they announced that they were making Best Actor the last category, you expected either Chadwick to win or that there would be some kind of a nod to him in some way that would make the ending of it really centered around him. I mean, I think a lot of people were really upset about it, not just because they changed it to be the last thing, but also because it felt like there was so much talk about him in terms of promo for the Oscars, and it just felt a little bit using, I think a lot of people felt. And like, for example, putting it as the last award of the night, most people assumed it would be because he would win and there would be a nod to him and there would be a celebration of his life. When he didn't win, it just felt like they were putting at the end to ensure that people would watch till the end. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, it's nothing at all against Anthony Hopkins. I mean, he's a really talented actor. It's nothing at all about that, but it did feel really kind of bizarre. I actually imagine what it felt like in the room. I don't know, but I saw a tweet that was like, you know, maybe a little bit of piece of advice. Maybe the producers should get the heads up from the Academy about the winners because was that a stylistic decision that would have stood if they knew that that wasn't going to be the outcome? I don't know. Absolutely. That is one of those cases. Listen, I agree. The less people who know, the better. But in a situation like that, specifically when they're making the stylistic decision to change the order and make that the big ending, yeah, a heads up I think would be appropriate. Yeah, I completely agree. Is there anything else that you would like to mention here? No, I'm like beyond ready to move on. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I don't know. We'll get him next year, guys. I know a lot of people. I mean, every single person in RGM said the same thing. Like there were a lot of historic wins. Of course, those are phenomenal and should be celebrated. And we want so much more of that. But just in terms of the way that it was done, it I guess we can only go up from here. Yeah. I mean, listen, I know we have this discussion a lot about award shows and them being different or them being boring every year. Like Grammys aside, not talking about you. You keep doing your thing. <laughs> But again, it does feel like a very boring, repetitive conversation that we keep having. But I will say that this year for the Oscars, it felt separate and apart from the conversations we've been having about other award shows. This just felt like a different level of of disappointment. Again, that has nothing to do with the people who won, the people who were awarded, the history that was made. Obviously, that is amazing to see. Just in terms of the actual event and what you have in your head when you turn on the Oscars... You just want to see it match up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You want that glamour. Yeah. Okay, moving on to a far more exciting note. This really isn't news, but it was just everywhere, and we got so many messages about it. We just wanted to take a moment to talk about Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. Aside from their double date with Travis and Courtney, which like is a whole other thing, which we can get into in a second, he had this concert in Jacksonville, and Watching Megan, not only in the crowd, if anybody didn't see it, we'll put the links in the description, but also them after the show, it really does feel like young love. I don't even know what it feels like. It feels like love I've never seen because I am just obsessed. Her mouthing every single word in the audience. Her when he's talking, he says a lyric or sings a line about calling him daddy and you see her in the audience and someone's filming her and she's like, yeah, that's right. And then after, when he picks her up and they're like making out after a show, like, what is happening? Listen, I know you are more into Machine Gun Kelly. Like, it's not my thing. But them together is so hot. Really, I think one of the hottest couples right now in Hollywood because there's this excitement about them. And it's different than Courtney and Travis. It's just, I don't know. They just seem to be so happy to be in each other's presence. And I, I can't get enough of it. I feel like especially with Megan, you know, she was really unhappy, I think, in the 
later years of her marriage and her relationship and just seeing her so overly joyed. I feel like we're seeing more of her just in general than we've seen in years. It's amazing. And I am obsessed with every single moment of it. I'm so aware of being home that I'm like whispering. I'm like, Machine Gun Kelly's hot. Like, I don't want my mom to hear me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also the fact that she's now being styled by Maeve, it really adds to me a whole other layer to this conversation because you're witnessing her style evolution simultaneously with her love life. And I think just like the cohesion of the two is really making for a Megan Fox era. I so agree. And it feels, I don't know why, but it feels so personal to me. Like, it's like, okay, it's one thing for Megan to be dating Machine Gun Kelly, like that in and of itself. But then you get so much content, which you've never gotten before. So that adds another layer. And then they're going on double dates with Travis and Courtney. And it's like, okay, I'm paying attention. Then all of a sudden she's being styled by Maeve. And you're like, what is this? Like, what am I watching go down? Because it feels like a dream that I made up in my own head. Right? Doesn't it feel a little bit fantasy oriented? A hundred percent. Well, if you remember, Julie, I think it was what, three weeks ago or maybe even more when we were talking about Travis and Courtney out and we knew that they were at the same fight, the UFC fight that Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly were out. And we said, I think it was you that said, you know, okay, let's just dream about it for a second, a paparazzi picture of them on a double date. And then we get it like in very recent time. No, it's unbelievable. I mean, not even just a paparazzi date, a slide in Machine Gun Kelly's own post from his birthday party. Like, you couldn't dream of that. Obviously, we know that Travis and Machine Gun Kelly are very close. It wasn't like a... I I think we all knew it wasn't a coincidence that they were at the fight together and sitting together. I think that was very purposeful. I just think we weren't aware of how much this couple was going to be integrated with each other. So to see them together in an Instagram post at his birthday was like... I don't know. It felt next level to me. It felt next level. Yeah. I hope that other people are feeling the same excitement about the Megan and MGK thing. I think they are based on what we're experiencing. Listen, I'm sure some people won't like it, but there's always those people. Yeah. I mean, but I don't care about those people. (laughs) So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the Viral Turquoise Tube. I saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So I know this news has kind of been circulating for a little while and everybody has been wondering what's going on between Pete Davidson and Phoebe Jennifer, but... The first photo of them together came out last week. They were in the UK countryside. Apparently, he visited her in Manchester, where she's currently living. And I'm sure you guys saw the photos. They seemed to just be really happy. They were kind of arm in arm. What would you like to say on this? Um, I'm happy. I mean, if he's happy, I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the rumors first started in February when she had made the trip to New York. And I think people had spotted them in the UK a little bit after that a few times, but these seem to be like the first real photos. Yeah. And and they look great together. I mean, here's my thing with Pete and whoever he's dating at the moment is that I love, I live for the shock 
when every single person has to like recover from the fact that Pete is dating the next hottest person in Hollywood because they then have to come to terms themselves with how hot he is. And obviously, like, it's not an entirely universal thing, even though in my opinion, it is. So I do find that discourse that takes place every like six months to be very funny. <laughs> yeah, I guess it also kind of validating for you. I still am not there, but I find his personality to make him so much more attractive. Um, yeah, like I don't <laughs> – the thing about like my taste is like I don't need to be validated in it because I almost hate it more when more people get on board. It would be your dream for nobody to understand the Timothy Chalamet hype. I know, but it really would. <laughs> I mean I don't – it's so funny because I don't know if you saw this on TikTok, but there was like a whole trend about like hot, ugly versus ugly, hot. Yes, like and the like, Noah Beck. Right. Like that spoke to me on a level that I can't even put into words for you. You should find the TikTok and put it – and we'll put it in the description. It is – yeah, we'll put it in the description because it is exactly how I feel. Like ugly hot is hot. The thing is I always remind myself of the interview that Pete did where he was kind of talking about that exact idea, not the ugly hot concept, but how like what it feels to be on the receiving end when people are so shocked at the women that he gets and kind of just like at realizing his attraction level. And so I always wonder what that must be for him. I like can't even imagine because he also is the type of person where it's exactly right. Like he doesn't understand it about himself. So it's not like he has this confidence that he's walking around with. He doesn't even have mirrors. Well, he moved out, but he didn't even have mirrors in his mom's basement. Also, he was living in his mom's basement. I know. It's really amazing that he moved out. We didn't even talk about that. I know. I'm so happy for him. He's still in Staten Island though. Listen, sometimes you can't take a boy away from his roots. I, I would never want to. Let me tell you something, Julie. That one time that we went, we had a good time. Yeah, it's like when I come to Jersey. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to mention on that? Um, no. <laughs> okay, one final thing on our continued coverage of A-Rod and J-Lo. So they had dinner apparently over the weekend at Hotel Bel Air, which apparently is where their first date in 2017 took place. And this is what a source told E, and I quote, Alex flew to LA on Thursday night to see Jennifer. He doesn't want to give up on their relationship and is willing to do whatever he has to do. He spent two nights with her trying to work things out. He keeps trying to show her how serious he is and how much he loves her, but she still feels that there's issues that can't be resolved and that they should move on. He headed back to Miami alone on Saturday morning. He doesn't want to give up, but she is adamant about moving on. I mean, First of all, yeah, if what? you think this is our last thing on our continued coverage of A-Rod and J-Lo, you are living in some sort of a dream world. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying recent, but also I didn't need a source to tell you this. We could have told you exactly what happened from that conversation with knowing nothing. No, like, is this not exactly what you would have envisioned? Yeah, absolutely. Except I'm sure there were other business elements that were also discussed. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it just really does seem like he is, I guess, willing to quote, do whatever, but we'll see. I mean, do you think that there's going to be a reconciliation publicly? Um, I don't know. If there weren't kids involved, I would say absolutely not. But because there are kids involved and they both love each other's kids so much that there is always the possibility there, I won't say no. But I don't think it's going to be immediate. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but I don't think it's completely out of the question. Yeah. I'm not willing to rule it out, but I definitely think at least not immediately. Honestly, and I could completely be wrong here. But I think that even if J-Lo wanted to, she would make sure that it wasn't public for a certain amount of time, just completely as a way to preserve public perception of her, like, quote, going back too soon. I really think that's how deep it is. I know that every time we talk about this, it comes across like we think that this is all so contrived, but that's because I do. Like, I just can't communicate that enough. I think this entire thing is so orchestrated in a way that is on par with like the old school way that celebrities used to handle the press. Yeah, absolutely. And they're both very old school. And I think that a conversation that happens around them specifically when you're talking about Hollywood couples that you feel are contrived or feel very business oriented or very managed is that people get really confused when you say that because they then assume that the entire relationship was that. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that their relationship was fake. I don't feel that there was ever a lack of love there. I, I, I feel like they had a very legitimate, real relationship with a lot of real love for each other and each other's families. 
I also think that coexists with the fact that they had a very business-oriented relationship and will continue to handle things in a very business-oriented way. You're right. It's an important point to make. Like The two can coexist. I just think that as normal people with normal relationships, we have a very hard time understanding the nuances and intricacies of a lot of Hollywood relationships because it is such a foreign concept to us because we do not operate like that in our own lives, nor would we ever need to. So when you hear about the weird little things in Hollywood relationships and there are rumors that are going around and you hear about blinds and this open relationship or this business deal, like once you question certain authenticities of certain elements of relationship, it makes you question the entire relationship. And I think with most Hollywood relationships, you just can't do that. I think that it is a mix of a lot of things. That's not to say that there aren't Hollywood relationships that are 100% real. I do believe that there are Hollywood relationships where no ounce of it is up for debate and they are 100% real and they love each other and and all of the things that go along with that. There are just certain ones where you have to understand that there are more elements to it than an average relationship. Yes. And even on a really, really small scale, kind of like the smallest element of all of this is, we talk about this a lot, but how they meet. You know, so much of the initial introductions can be kind of viewed almost like arrangements in a way because it's set up by managers or by agents. That happens all the time. And so even just having that knowledge, I think sometimes can take away kind of this like romantic view that people may have, but it's really not one or the other. I think just when you get to a certain level of fame, sometimes that just comes with the territory. A hundred percent. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I know we don't have this on the outline and I don't think you watched it yet, but I just quickly need to talk about the Jeff Wittick video. Is that okay with you? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm going to do this really quickly because I know Julie didn't watch, but I just need to talk about it with someone, especially since I watched the third part this morning. Very quickly for anybody who's unfamiliar, Jeff Wittick is a former member of David Dobrik's Vlog Squad. As you guys know, a few weeks ago when we did that entire breakdown of everything going on with David and all of the allegations, Jeff was brought up a lot because he had been speaking out and also because he had been in this accident, which he had never fully come out and said the root of it. It was speculated that it had to do with one of the vlogs that David was filming, but Jeff had never fully come out about it. Even when he was on the podcast Frenemies, I think it was Trisha that kind of asked a question saying, well, your injury has to do with David, and he kind of just avoided the question. He has now come out with kind of like a mini documentary series on YouTube. It's called Don't Try This at Home. It's on his YouTube channel. So far, there are three out. They're like 13 minutes each. It's a very short watch. Oh my God, you guys. You, If you're at all interested in this, you have to watch the next two. It is a little bit graphic in terms of details of injury, but I know he has an uncensored version of it on his Patreon. I didn't pay for that just because I can't watch that type of stuff. But basically, and again, you really should watch it, but he explains how his injury happened when David had stopped filming for a while and they were going to come back strong with the vlogs. He felt like he had to do really crazy stunts. And Jeff, Natalie, and Todd had been training together doing skydiving and they were going to do all these skydiving stunts. And in order to be like a certified skydiver, whatever it is, you have to do a certain amount of jumps. So they were taking classes constantly, constantly, constantly. And he was getting his fear of skydiving out. He was doing jumps. That was a total side thing. In addition to that, David rented this giant excavator and they had it in the middle of this lake in Utah. And 
he initially had Corinna, who was a former member of the Vlog Squad, go on and he was kind of swinging her around relatively gently. But you see when she gets off, she makes a comment like, David, you just always take it too far. Watching it back, it's very eerie. And again, you just need to watch it to understand the full scope of what I'm saying. But basically, Jeff gets on. Yes, at the time, it was with his consent. It was voluntary, but he did not know what David was about to do. David is swinging him from this excavator at 60 miles an hour. The only way that I can kind of describe it is, you know, when you go to the carnival when you're a kid and there are those swing rides where it's like basically swings going in a circle. That's what this was like, except for it was a man hanging from a rope. David is driving the excavator with one hand, filming the vlog with his other. And basically what happened was Jeff smacked into the excavator at full speed, pretty much fell down. I mean, it was terrible. He immediately was rushed to the ICU. He has a million fractures in his face. He almost lost his eye. He has a plate in his head. I mean, the damage was insane. And these were such good episodes because they were rolling the whole time. So throughout the entire healing process, throughout the actual day of, and then now where it leaves us at is he's a lot of anger, understandably so, towards David. And he's basically explaining kind of like how upset he is towards David and how he, you know, really could have lost his life. And you see him about to confront David. And it is, Julie, like you have to watch this. I know. I have to watch. I have a really hard time watching things like this recently. Honestly, I understand, but he did such a good job of censoring all of it. Like he knew that it would be demonetized if he put that level of injury on YouTube. So you don't see any of like the graphic nature. I personally had to bury my head for the last minute of the second episode just because you see kind of like the crash. But it's just like, what the fuck was David thinking? Seriously. I know Jeff had consented to it, but he did not consent to what was about to go down. He didn't consent to 60 miles an hour. And like, there's just this level of invincibility that I think David was operating with. And it's so alarming when you watch it. I have no idea what David was thinking. And it's so incredibly disappointing. Obviously, we had a whole discussion about David and and what went down with everything and Dom. And I just think that we had a view of David because he's done so much good as well that maybe those things overshadowed our initial view of him. But when you really break it down to the things he did, the stunts he pulled, what he expected of his friends, the power imbalance, and all coming to a head with these two separate events, it's just hard to ever look at him the same. It is. It really is. And I think that that's a very fair way to feel. And, you know, this was really interesting because in this most recent one, he'll get into it more, I think, in the next one. Like, I've never once in my life gone to Jeff Wittick's YouTube channel and all of a sudden I'm like hooked because he spoke about, you would find this really interesting, how like he's in recovery, literally basically fighting to get his basic kind of functions back and his brain is damaged. And he goes and opens Instagram and every day he just sees David is getting praised. You know, David Dobrik gives Teslas to X people, David Dobrik, this, that. He's like, it was really hard to know that the person that put my life in his hands and almost lost my life. And again, of course, not maliciously is simultaneously being praised for being this like amazing person. And he was like, it was a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know. He hasn't gotten this far yet, but I don't think he hates David. Like it didn't seem that way, but I think he really had a lot of hatred towards him at that time. And I think every way that he felt was just so fair. Just in this situation, did you feel at all like David tried to rectify this in any way, shape or form, or like the aftermath of the way David acted was um, like not almost worse, but kind of on par with what happened? Well, I don't feel like I can answer that fairly because I don't know enough about what happened. Like so far, all I've seen in this video is Jeff made a joke, but I think it was true that David was paying for all the medical expenses again, as he should. And there was like this one clip where Jeff kind of woke up and he was still relatively giddy. I don't think he fully understood what happened. And he made a joke to David, like you should show up in a Joker costume. He actually wanted him to. It wasn't like David doing that, being like a sociopath. And so David did. He like came up in full Joker attire, which sounds really stupid, but Jeff was kind of citing that as one of the things that like cheered him up in a way. But no, I don't think that, I don't know. I can't say enough. I don't think, no, I do not think that David did enough after the fact. I don't know what he could have done or should have done. Like 
that's such a personal thing for Jeff. Like, I don't know how I would feel if my friend was driving an excavator at 60 miles an hour, fucking bashed my head into it, causes me irreparable damage for the rest of my life. I don't know what I could tell you like is what they should do. I, I don't have the answer. But based on the way that Jeff was speaking, I don't think he felt fulfilled by whatever David's actions were. Right. Do you, well, let me ask one more question because now I'm, I'm intrigued by um all of this. I mean, I was obviously intrigued before, but I, I was afraid to watch, so I didn't get the full scope of it. Did the situation or the episodes that have come out make it seem like David felt an appropriate amount of guilt about what happened? That's a really good question. Again, I didn't watch the first episode, but I don't think that that matters for purposes of answering this question. I'll put it like this. David's guilt was not the focus of this. However, it seems as though into the next episode is transitioning to that kind of like putting together both Jeff's anger towards David and then also David's guilt in terms of what can I do to make it up to you? For example, one of the teasers for next week is Jeff saying to him, you know, fuck it. You're going to put us through all this stuff. Like, I want you to come skydiving. And David says back, okay, you want me to do it? Like, I'm happy to do that. I'll do that with you. It seems like such a minor, stupid thing. But I guess what I wonder is, did Jeff feel, and we'll find out more as we continue to watch, did Jeff feel such a sense of anger and frustration as if he was being used as a pawn and then kind of wanted to reverse the role so that David could see what it was like to almost be a guinea pig? Because so far, that seems to be the sentiment of like the type of, I don't know, validation. I don't know the right word, but that's kind of what he wants back. But David's guilt isn't as much of a discussion point as much as it is Jeff's story. Right. I understand that completely. It's really fucking interesting though. Like it really makes you, it just, there's just no excuse for it. Like there's just no excuse. And he, he at one point is talking to Casey Neistat who had this really bad injury years ago, but he talks about how, you know, there can come a point in your life when you feel so invincible and then something happens. And in a split second, that feeling of invincibility is taken from you, which Net net is actually a good thing because it makes you live your life in a far more careful, like intelligent way. But this was the first time that that entire group had experienced something in that way. You know, of course, Jeff went to jail, but in terms of their vlogs, like they had been doing stupid shit for a really long time and somehow just got really lucky. And this was an experience where they just weren't so lucky. And like what the consequences caught up with them. And it's it's just fucking terrifying and really angering to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I saw an interesting point actually online that was being discussed about this. And I know you and I have had this conversation before where, you know, when we used to describe the vlogs to people, we would say, you know, it's like if you gave a 12-year-old a million dollars and just said, go crazy. And somebody was actually comparing it to when Taylor Swift said in her documentary, she was saying, you know, most, if not every famous person is kind of frozen at the age they got famous at. And they were comparing that to David saying like, it's very apparent that David acts as he did at the age he got famous at. The the thought process and the ability to think through his actions is just completely lacking as if he's a young teenage boy and he's not a young teenage boy anymore. Yeah. And it was only being enforced because everybody, and I'm including myself in that. I was a vlog watcher, everybody who was watching the vlogs, everybody who was in his friend group. I mean, the people in the friend group, it was different because there was like a real dynamic at place, but that behavior was being encouraged because it was good for views. And, you know, of course this particular stunt was a little bit different because they all felt like they had to up the ante. Like they had never done something this dangerous, but this was going to come COVID or not. You know, at a certain point you, I guess as a content creator, feel like your followers or your viewers are being bored. And so you need to up the stakes. But I think what's so frustrating for a lot of people in watching this with David is like, it was never himself that was being put in the line of danger. He had no problem putting his friends in it. And again, yes, they were consenting, but like they were consenting in a lot of ways because that's what they had to do for content creation. And I think it just feels like such an imbalance when you see it in such clear terms. Like you see him being the one that is driving this at a completely ridiculous speed and somebody on a rope and like that visual you can't get out of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's all different when you're looking at the situation and the vlogs in retrospect. It becomes entirely different. I mean, obviously this specific situation you don't need retrospect for. I'm just saying you use this specific thing to look back at everything else 
and it kind of puts it all into perspective. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a really interesting series and I highly would recommend anybody watching it if you have any interest in this stuff. I don't know. I it's I think the criticism that David is getting is 100% fair and I say that as somebody who really supported him for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Okay, I know that there is absolutely no evidence here. There's nothing of substance. You click on this article and you're met with nothing that we didn't already know. However, the page six article that came out yesterday titled Kim Kardashian and Van Jones dating rumors continue to spread is something I would just like to take a moment to talk about because I think it gives us an excuse to talk about Kim dating in general. Exactly. I was just about to say that could have been any single name there and I would have had just as much interest and just as much desire to talk about because all I want to do is talk about who she's going to date next. I know. And listen, we had spoken about this I think multiple episodes ago, like the Van Jones thing is something that we're both, I think, really here for, correct? Yeah, definitely. But this article really did not progress that storyline at all. It just said exactly what we all know. Like, yes, there are rumors and they are being spread. And I want to get into this conversation, but I want to start because I know we had one time gotten a message that was like, well, why does she have to date anyone? Like, can't Kim just be single? Of course. I mean, she's not even fully divorced yet. Of course, she can be single for as long as she wants. But it is just fun to fantasize about the idea of her dating someone. I think that's a very normal thing to do. Yeah. I mean, obviously she can be single if she wants to be single and no one's pressuring her into dating. I do think eventually that's something that she is going to want for herself. And when that time comes, I would like to have a pre-prepared, pre-discussed list about who her potential partners could be. Right. Just because partnership is something that Kim has always vocalized being really important to her. It's not like we're talking about a woman who's always been single and people are saying, why don't you have a boyfriend? Why don't you have a boyfriend? That's not the case here. This is a woman who's spoken so openly about wanting nothing more than to just be madly in love and be committed to that person. I mean, this is, you know, let's go back to the Reggie days, to the Chris Humphrey days. She's always kind of been a hopeless romantic. Yeah, she has. And I love that for her. And and again, that whole hopeless romantic thing is why the Kanye situation not working out really is difficult, even if you have a specific view of him in his later years and the later years of their marriage. Their initial love story was exactly the type of romantic, uh, what Kim always wanted. So it is hard to look back at that. But I have to say, I think that in terms of who Kim is going to date next, there's something about the Courtney and Travis relationship that's making the prospect of Kim a hundred times more interesting. I am so glad you said that. I didn't know if it was just me that was feeling that way. I really agree with that, Julie. And I don't even exactly know why. Like, I think there's probably a lot of different elements to analyze, but can I just say one that came up for me? Of course. It's kind of like, Courtney and Travis had known each other for so long. Yet, if you were to ask me prospects of who Courtney Kardashian was going to date, I would have never said Travis. I would have never said somebody that was so seemingly intertwined. So it makes me take a step back and say, wait a second, is there somebody so obvious that we're overlooking? Somebody that she's been close to for so many years, even if they're not in the immediate circle? I don't know if that same thought process came up for you because there's a lot of elements there, but that is one that is constantly in my mind. Kim and Fi 2021, baby. Oh my God, don't joke. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean though. I don't know. I think for me, it's not even about the closeness of Courtney and Travis predating. I think for me, it's more about the sexual element of Courtney and Travis. And I, it, there's something so exciting about that and so like so engrossing to watch that happen that I 
I want to see Kim in that position. Like I want to see Kim living her best life the way we're seeing Courtney live hers. And I think that is the main element for me. I want Kim to be with somebody, not just somebody that matches, not just somebody, oh, we can see her with that person. Like I want to see Kim and be like, oh my God, you look so unbelievably happy and in love and sexual. That is what I want for her. I know. It's all I want. I I just don't know. I mean, still Van Jones, who knows if there's any truth to that. It's one that does make sense to me. And I know a lot of people, like for example, um, when Kim became obsessed with Bridgerton, a lot of people were saying Reggae John Page, listen, he's like one of the hottest men ever. And I very much understand the appeal there just in terms of like them as a couple would be so beautiful. But I just don't foresee it being an actor. I foresee it being I always use the example of Alexis Ohanian because it just fits so well for me, but someone like that, I really think that it's going to be somebody more in like the business yet also fame world or like an A-Rod route kind of. Yeah. My view on the situation has changed a little because I think initially what I was thinking of is somebody that I could see her with long-term. And I think that is actually where the Courtney and Travis element is really coming in. Not that I can't see Courtney and Travis long-term, but the way Courtney and Travis are is just so fun and exciting and sexual, obviously, like I said before. And what I want to see Kim with is somebody that's a little bit less, okay, this is a long-term thing. This matches so well that I could see this being a forever thing. I want to see Kim going through like a fun hot girl summer phase where it has the elements of the Courtney and Travis, but maybe a little less serious. Oh, I love that. That makes the conversation so much more fun. I just think when you get out of a marriage, a really long, grueling relationship at times, I think if Kim is going to take that step afterwards, I don't think there's any reason for her to jump into, again, if she wants that, that's her decision. That's fine. Just in my fantasy world and the scenario I have in my head, I don't think there's any reason for her to jump right back into a serious relationship or somebody that she has to be, quote, serious with. I think that she can have a lot of fun and explore this single side of her while still maintaining exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. You're so right. I Listen, I think that it's very probable. It's just like we are not prepared for the paparazzi pictures of her holding a man's hand, leaving Craig's. I just want everybody to prepare yourself for the fact that that will be a reality at one point. I don't think Kim going on six dates with someone is going to elicit that sort of paparazzi shot because I think that she's going to be really private about it until something that she thinks is worth talking about. But that's something that is going to happen. And like, we just need to be ready for that as a collective group. I think I'm ready. (laughs) Are you? Can I tell you why I'm ready? Yeah. I'm ready because we need something new to talk about. You're so right. I love the conversations we have about them. I love the Chloe and Tristan talk. Topic. I love the Courtney, Travis, Scott love triangle conversation that I could talk about for years and years and years. I love talking about Kim and Kanye's divorce in the aftermath, but I need a new topic. I need something new and fun and exciting to explore and analyze. Yeah. And this would really be uncharted territory. I mean, we would be going deep in a way I don't think we ever have before. Exactly. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Also, you know, Chrissy was on Watch What Happens and she spoke about Kim and Kanye saying, quote, I will say I have definitely been in touch with Kim more than John has been in touch with Kanye. If anyone knows Kanye, it's that he goes off the grid. It's hard to ever contact Kanye. Kim is doing okay. I know Kim gave her all for everything. And it's honestly a shame that it didn't work out. 
because I saw them being a forever relationship. I really did, but I know she tried her best. Chrissy saying that she saw it as a forever relationship is so interesting to me because she obviously had such an insight to that relationship that her saying that is not like us saying like, oh, we thought it would be forever. Obviously, you never said that. But there is a different element when she says that. Yeah. And also, I don't think that she would just say it just to say it. Like, if she didn't think it, she wasn't going to say that. But she didn't need to say anything, especially Chrissy's pretty blunt in her words. Like, if she didn't feel that it was going to be a forever thing, she just would simply omit that from her statement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Last thing we wanted to talk about in terms of Kardashians is, as you guys know, Andy is doing this reunion with them. But this morning on Radio Andy, he spoke a little bit about it. And I want to read some of these quotes because don't you feel, Julie, that the number one thing we've been kind of hearing about this is just that nothing is off limits? That's kind of like the general sentiment that everybody's been saying. Yes. And that's what Andy himself has been saying and emphasizing. Right. And- it's kind of like the Bachelor effect of most dramatic season ever. You are trained to not necessarily believe that that's going to be the case, yet you hope for it. So hearing what he said this morning, personally for me, I think it made me feel a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the biggest takeaways, he said first that Kim and Chloe specifically told him they wanted to do it right. They wanted to go out with a bang and kind of told him to do his thing. He then said, and I quote, It was a bit intimidating when I sat down with them because they were so not used to this. And I think that Chris, very consciously, didn't want it to have the rank that some housewives reunions have or that level of acrimony, which I very much could see that being a concern for Chris just because she never wants bitterness to at all be surrounding the family. Yeah. And I think she also obviously wanted to separate it, not because it's anything against housewives, but I think she wanted this to exist at its own entity and not fall into that category But also Andy was saying in that interview, he was like, this isn't a family that's going to fight in the middle of a reunion, quote unquote. So it's automatically going to be different because there's no hostility there from anybody. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of it more so is, I think, towards the media or some of the ways that stories have been spun. Yeah, of course. Other things he said, quote, I do not think that by the end of the day, there was a topic that we didn't cover also said he had never met Kendall or Kylie before. And he feels like just in general, the entire family gets kind of a bad rap in terms of their intelligence, that they're all really smart. They know what they're doing. And then he said in terms of Kendall and Kylie and also Scott, quote, I went into Kylie and Kendall and said, listen, I'm asking everything. And they're like, oh, okay. And Scott sat down and I was like right out of the gate with him. And he was looking at me like, what is this? Or what are you doing? I think he was a little stunned. But as it went on, I think they all really started leaning into it. And Kendall at the end said, wow, this was so great. We talked about so much stuff we've never talked about, and I've never been able to put to better address. And we did it. We actually did it. That Kendall quote got me excited. Right? Very much so, yeah. Also because it's coming from Kendall, who automatically is just less involved in the show. So to me, that quote kind of gave me a sense of enthusiasm, which I can only hope was then passed on to Kylie. (laughs) Yeah. Also. It's one thing when it comes from the interviewer because take Andy, for example, obviously Andy knows what he's doing. Obviously Andy knows what the hard hitting questions are going to be, but Andy's not the type of avid fan where he has seen every single interview and knows what every single sister has said on the past about every single subject. So his view about what they had touched on and what was discussed that had never been discussed before is automatically going to be a little bit different than the reality. That's just how it is. And that's not a fault of him by any means. But for a family member to say like, wow, that was different than anything any of us have ever done. And it touched on areas that none of us have ever spoken about. That just carries a completely different weight. It does. And I will again say specifically because it's Kendall, I just think it's different because she doesn't have that same level of excitement about the show that Kim or Chloe had. Like it was very on brand to me that Andy said that Kim and Chloe were the ones that said to him, listen, I want to get it all out there. Yeah, the way he spoke about Kim and Chloe is that they were definitely the the leaders of the group and they were excited to be there, be putting it all out there and not hold back at all. And I think they are really going to be the ones that set the tone for this entire thing, which is what they typically do. Just in terms of some of the topics that they're going to talk about, which I know he kind of mentioned, if you have really top level, you know, Courtney and Scott, Caitlin, Tristan and Chloe, Kanye, things like that. And we know that, right? We don't know the questions he's going to ask, but we know that those are general things. But then I wonder, what are other things that we aren't even thinking that we may have been wondering, but honestly forgot that we even wondered? 
Yeah, I was curious about that too. The topics that Andy named when he's talking about it this morning were all kind of the big topics that everyone expects to be brought up, but I obviously think they're going to be addressed in a different sort of a way because I think a lot of the times when Kardashians do interviews and they bring up those big topics, they are answered in very ambiguous ways. So we don't know 100% the answer and they kind of leave it open for interpretation. I don't think there's going to be any of that here. But he didn't touch on any of the really tiny subjects, which I know that you and I and probably the people who really care are interested in. So it'll be really interesting to see what those topics get picked on. Yeah. The other thing that I was just thinking about in terms of all of this is, you know, sometimes if one of them is on Ellen or on another late night show, it's like they can't fully answer because the other family member isn't there. So they went over, I'm sure, and they're briefing what they're allowed to say, but it's different. Whereas if Andy is asking Kim a question that may involve Courtney, Courtney is sitting right there. Kim has a very good gauge on what she can and cannot say. And so it's like an immediate reaction that just makes it a far safer environment all already. Oh, absolutely. There's also a lot of stuff that we know the answers to just based on news reports and our own observations, but a lot of things that they've never spoken about. For example, Kylie hasn't really come out and said what the deal with her and Travis is ever. So we're waiting to hear on that. Obviously, we know that Courtney and Travis are together. We're waiting to hear on the story there. So I think there's a lot of stuff, even in the big topics that we know about that will be really interesting to see what the specifics there are. Yes. I so wonder if Kylie will be any less ambiguous. And I know this shouldn't be the focus and it's not, but I just need to say I would be lying if I said that I wasn't curious if any of the surgery will be addressed. He also said yes to that. He, he said, said no, surgery he said- and lips will be addressed. Yes. I know. But does that mean Kylie? Well, he did specifically say lips. So I have to assume that means Kylie. I think all of them. Imagine Kylie just in this Andy Cohen interview is like, yes, I had implants. I know it's so fucking minor. We all know she doesn't quote owe anyone an answer, but I just can't imagine. If they sat there and went through every single thing they got done, that could take up the entire interview. It literally could. And that's not said in any sort of malicious way. It's just factual. Yeah, of course. Holy shit. Wow. Okay. Let's not get our hopes up too much because you never know. I mean, I never do. Do we know when this is airing? I don't know. Okay, because that's going to have to obviously be its own episode. Of course. Are you kidding? <laughs> It'll be its own Kardashian episode. Yeah. Okay, anything else you want to mention? I think that's it. I think so too. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much. And we are going to put the link to vote for the Webby Awards. We were nominated in two categories. It takes like five seconds and just be the nicest thing ever if you would vote. So thank you. And we love you guys so much. Julie and I will see you on Thursday. And Isabel and I will see you on Friday for Bravo. Bye.